turning setbacks into comebacks. 2020, it's the year that just keeps on giving, doesn't it? I'll tell you what, we get through one, it just keeps on rolling. Uh, as a church, our server went down in the middle of the night. So we've had staff here that have been here all night trying to get all of the sound and everything up. And so if the duck looks like it's swimming calm on the surface, let me just tell you underneath, uh, it has been craziness. Uh, but it's so good. And we just chalk it up to 2020. But, you know, even in this crazy year, you know, one of the issues that I know has been near to heart that's been so discouraging to see, even in this area of, of race relations, how it just feels like 2020 just keeps on coming and just keeps on giving. And at moments we feel like we're farther apart than when we started this year. And the challenge of this topic is it's, in some regards, it's very simple. And in other areas, it's extremely complex, right? It's not a black-white issue. It's, it's not even a skin color issue because the complexity is this. Sometimes in groups of even the same skin color, there's racism, right? As a Caucasian, we have, you know, we've got white-collar boys and we've got rednecks. Uh, Greg shared that as a black man who lived in Africa, discrimination between African black and American black that existed. In, in the previous Soviet Union, genocide against its own people in countries like the Ukraine had nothing to do with skin color that's there. This inner race racism stems from this very dangerous and very hurtful idea that says, I am better than you. I, I'm superior to you. I have more value than you do. And the challenge with that sinful thinking is it dehumanizes people and it dehumanizes races. And it's ultimately is what at the, is at the heart of this issue of racism. In fact, as you look out throughout human history, every great catastrophe, every genocide like the Holocaust, every great injustice that has happened has happened when a group of people stand up and say, I am superior to you. I have more worth and more value than you have. And it's crazy. What are we basing that superiority on? Uh, I was born into a certain family, and I was born in some geographical location. Think about that. Two things we had nothing to do with are things that sometimes we tout as being more superior because of those things. And so I just want to remind you today as we kind of delve into this, this issue that that the issue is greater than simply the amount of melanin that you have in your skin, right? This is a heart issue. This is a sin issue that we've got to continue to deal with. This idea that, that I am superior to you or have more worth and value, man, this has been going on for over two, almost 2,000 years. When James is speaking to the early church in James 1, where we've been kind of launching this whole series out of, Think about this, at a time in the nation of Israel when they're being scattered, when persecution is great, when the challenges are there, they're near starvation, they are being oppressed at all angles, you would assume the nation would rally together like never before. You would assume that if we faced a world pandemic together that we you would unite as people like never before to overcome this thing. But unfortunately, the condition of the human heart always plays into this. So James, speaking to the early church at a time when they should have been unified, in James chapter 2, verse 1, says this, My brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And James is saying, listen, there is no place in the family of God for racism and prejudice and favoritism. There is no place in the context of the heart of the believer and especially in the local church for any of this to ever exist. And James drills down on this even harder. He says, I, I want you to understand how significant this is to the heart of God. Go on to verse two. For example, 
Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? James is saying, listen, your actions, it's not your words. It's your actions that matter. As a church, we, we, we've had two weeks in sermon series dealing with this issue. It, it's not even that we can put out a video that kind of carries on this conversation. The authenticity of our heart is going to come out in our actions and how we treat one another every day. So that's the evidence of a heart that's been changed and transformed. So he goes on to say this in, chapter, in verse 5. He says, listen to me, brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who have oppressed you and dragged you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble names you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. For if you favor someone over others, you are committing a sin, and you are guilty of breaking the law. And I love this. The Bible doesn't stutter on this issue. There is no place, there is no place in the heart of a believer for favoritism and racism and prejudice or feelings of superiority to one another. The Bible says very clearly, all of these things are sin. Now, I think we could all agree on that point, probably. I would hope. We, we could rally around that and say, that's kind of where I'm at. But what makes this conversation so hard, it, it's the cultural context and in our world right now, it's the political wrappings that really have made this so much more difficult and complex than the simple truth that is there. For example, and if you don't mind this morning, listen, I, I just want, we're going to just jump into the deep end, all right, on this issue uh, on race. And uh, I just trust that you know my heart and my intent and where I fall short, I ask for your grace along those things. You know, last week we, we put together this conversation and the video that we wanted to kind of begin this thing together, and we've had... Uh, nearly 5,000 watches on that just here in the last week uh, as we've gone. And as you can imagine, with such a broad uh, audience, there's been a wide range of opinions and thoughts and, and feedback along those. And one of the areas in that video, <clears throat> listen, that I knew was going to be a trigger, and it was, is when we talked a little bit about this issue of Black Lives Matters. And I'll just tell you as a staff, boy, we debated a long time. What do we put into this? What do we take out of this last video that we showed you last week? We had over two and a half hours of conversation. But the intent was to have a genuine conversation and an expression of feelings and thoughts and opinions and not try to just make a feel-good piece. So in the midst of that conversation, we wanted to have some of those. And honestly, I think the topic of that, Black Lives Matters, was important because that's the conversations we're all having with people outside of the context of that moment. So we want to talk a little bit about that. The challenge of that phrase is there's how much weight and how much stuff is put into that. When you hear it, when you say it, when you read it, it, it stirs something in you because of the weight you place on that phrase. So here's the question I've been processing. Is it a sentiment or is it a slogan of an agenda? You see, it's the lens that we look at that conversation with. If it's a sentiment that the lives of our black brothers and sisters matter and they have intrinsic worth and value because they're created in the image of God and in a moment and of our time in history in a season they feel forgotten and unheard, there's value in expressing that. That's a sentiment. 
if it's a statement of an agenda that the founding uh, political views of those who started the movement and their agenda for what the United States should become, then that's a different kind of a conversation that we would have. I would hope on the sentiment that we could all tether to this truth that all are created in the image of God, and because we're created in the image of God, we have worth and value and esteemed and equality. I hope we could tether ourselves to that truth that's there. If it's that sentiment, then we can rally around that. If it's on the other side, and it's, the, it's a slogan of a political thing, then again, we can have conversation and debate about those kind of things as we go. But what I wanna remind you is, when you say those words, or when you hear them, or when you read them, it's the lens that you see them through that adds the meaning to it. And it's because of those lenses, why, why men and women, we need to have conversation about that. Because if we don't have conversation, I'm going to assume and filter it through the lens that I'm seeing it through. And the reality is this. I hope all of us as followers of Jesus can tether to this truth of the equality because we're made in the image of God. And on there, there's a spectrum of where we're going to fall between here and there. But I know it's okay, we can have those conversations if we're tethered in this truth that drives the whole thing. So as we think about those things, I, I wanna remind you that as we begin along this process. But again, I'll never understand where you are in that if we don't have a conversation. So one of the questions I love to ask, because this conversation comes up quite often, so what does Black Lives Matter mean to you? Now, where are we on this spectrum? Here's what I found with some people. We have a lots of places that we agree and we affirm and we can champion together as long as we stay tethered to this truth that's here and the conversation begins. And so today, we wanna, in light of that, continue that conversation to learn, to listen, to ultimately grow in empathy and understanding uh, for one another. And so today, as I mentioned last week, uh, we've invited uh, some of our folks from uh, UK to come and share. We invited a bunch of athletes to come. And because 2020 just keeps on giving, uh, they all are quarantined as teams all over. One of our gals from the basketball team says, I'm stuck at a hotel. They won't even let me out of the hotel. So today we've got uh, two men that are gonna come and share and, and uh, these guys have become men I just uh, admire and of good friends and I'm gonna introduce them to you in just a little bit. But we wanna continue to learn and to have that conversation. Because can I confess to you, as an older white man, uh, sometimes it's hard to fully understand these issues because these issues don't affect me in my life in the same way. I don't experience some of the things that other folks experience. I, I have not walked down the streets of Lexington and heard somebody yell out of the car, hey, old, white, bald guy, go home. I mean, I just haven't heard that a whole lot. But my friend Devin sings on the worship team, works at the summit, as he's heading into work, somebody in a pickup truck and their Confederate flag waving out says, run, drops the N-word on him, run. That's in our city, in our community. And there is no place for that in the context. So I want to remind you, if you're like me, listen, just because I have not experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That my world, right, that my world is not the world. When it comes to issues of race, poverty, persecution. My world is not 
the world. Now listen, I don't have to apologize for that and feel bad about that. I just need to understand that my world isn't the same world that everybody is experiencing and facing. And so today, a goal is that we will continue to learn and have greater understanding of the world that everyone faces along those ways. So to help us along those lines, will you uh, welcome these, our, our CATS uh, representatives today? Come on up, men. Thank you guys for, uh, for joining us, and uh, you're going to get to uh, appreciate these guys. Uh, a couple of them, let me just introduce me. This is Aaron Hogue. Aaron is the Director of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and uh, works with our students and works with our coaches there on campus and does just an amazing uh, job, and you're going to get to hear a little bit more from Aaron. I appreciate uh, his impact of some of the biggest influencers in our community, and so love that. Uh, Courtney Love is also here. Now, many of you uh, re might remember Courtney from his playing days, the captain there with the, the cats. There we go, <laughs> representing. And uh, God has now placed him uh, in a great position of director of player development, influencing and impacting young men, and uh, so excited to have Courtney here. Now, I appreciate Courtney. I knew Courtney from before. I didn't know him, but I knew of him. Uh, Courtney played at the University of Nebraska his first couple years, and uh, so I love that about your brother, and I'm glad you moved because I moved, so thanks for coming with me here. Uh, while at Nebraska, he was awarded the Nebraska Hero Leadership Award and named to the Tom Osborne Citizenship Team, and uh, Courtney, I think one of the things that I so appreciate about you uh, it has been wherever you have been. Uh, you have been a man of, it's been strong in your faith. God has really used your character and your integrity. And I love it's been seen and recognized by those around you. And so thanks for, for being here. And for both of you guys, I, I appreciate you uh, investing into our church. Uh, Courtney, you've been to some of our youth events and our outreach events. And so thank you men for coming and investing a little bit with us here today. Now before we get into this topic, uh, Courtney, I got you here. We gotta talk a little Cats football. Um, Oh, boy. I was so excited. I had anticipations what this conversation was going to be like. I thought, man, we're 2-0. and oh, We're feeling good. Worst, we're going to be 1-1. One and one. But we're talking about turning setbacks into comebacks. And uh, I, we need some words of encouragement for you. Uh, tell us a little bit what's happening uh, just internally with the team. How are they processing and how are you trying to lead during this time? Uh, you know, definitely, you know, it, it was a tough, tough uh, game yesterday. And the week before that was a tough one. Um, and our, our coach, Stoops, he always talks about um, don't let one get two. Um, and, and so we don't, we don't think yesterday one got two um, because we definitely, you know, our guys worked hard. Um, you know, they fought to the end, but there were, you know, small details that could have been, you know, corrected, you know, early on, you know, whether it's in game or, you know, you start to, you know, feel yourself a little bit, you know, uh, in particular, you know, our, our running back, was running the ball and he decides to celebrate like five yards before he scores, you know, and, um, you know, that's, 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 it's a great lesson. Um, because I, at first I didn't know whether to, you know, go down and like get in his face and scream at him. And I was screaming, believe me, but, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it's lessons like that, that you learn. And, you know, because he made that mistake, there's probably going to be thousands of kids throughout the country that won't make that mistake. Um, kids on our team won't make that same mistake. So um, in, in that, you know, that loss, you learn, you know, and, and it's, you know, one thing our coach has always told us, you know, you can lose, but 
did you learn, you know, in that loss? So, you know, in a sense, you're still winning because you learned and you're going to get better the next, the next day, the next play. And so that's what we're trying to teach our guys now. You know, obviously it didn't start off the way we wanted it to, but, you know, we still have eight opportunities to really get back going. Yep. Fantastic. Well, we're with you. And uh, we're sticking with you, brother. Aaron, you've got uh, an amazing role. Uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes is such a critical uh, ministry in the lives of coaches and and players. Uh, In 2020, unique world. You've got these young people now who all their life has aspired to get to a Division I level, uh, maybe dreams of going to the next level, and then everything's taken away from them. Uh, A little bit of your self-worth, your value, who am I without sports? Talk to me a little bit about what that has been like for you during this season and uh, really how you've seen FCA kind of step in the gap. And maybe share even more like what COVID means in terms of your daily routine. Man, through, uh, through COVID, through race conversations that we're always having, um, there's been a constant theme serving as a chaplain through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in our athletic department. But one of the things that I try to challenge athletes, coaches, is that, hey, we didn't ask for this 2020, but we were made for this. And it's a truth that we can continue to, to help dive into the deep water, like you said earlier this morning. But just for an example, through FCA on our campus, uh, typical rhythms and schedules allow us that we meet as an FCA community every Monday night in our team football meeting room where we'll have over 100 athletes connecting in with each other, but connecting with the God through his word and worship and fellowship. But because of COVID, we can't do that right now. And we've been, uh, all of our teams are in bubbles, so to speak. But what we didn't realize is that God meant it for good. And what God's been doing this year so far is actually, uh, as we had no idea, but we have identified 17 different athlete leaders off each team. And what we've done with those on every Sunday night, those 17 leaders meet with me and we do a discipleship process where we teach them the word. And then they take that lesson and they, those 17 leaders have actually gone out and implemented, and we've started 17 different FCA groups on 17 different teams on campus this year. So we're actually reaching more than we ever thought we would. But yeah, we, we praise the Lord for that because we didn't expect and see that coming. Um, so I, I feel like as a believer, now I'd like to share this and challenge if that's okay, but like, I, I feel like as a believer, as a Christian, our identity is in Christ first, that we are primarily a good news people because we're grounded in the gospel. We're a good news people, but we're living in a bad news world. It's the easiest time ever to be a witness for Christ right now because if you're walking with joy and thankfulness and you're connected with Christ, there's something different about you in this world. We're not we're not ignoring the bad news, but it does give us a reason to have those conversations like we're doing today. Oh, that's a great word. And uh, part of the bad news of this, you've got to get, tell me about you're getting tested. This was unbelievable. How many times a week do you guys need to do that? Well, yeah, because I'm a chaplain on, on our football team, and um, I know this guy for years, and I, I was already a little upset. You guys clapped for him more than you did me, and I don't know what that's of that, so I appreciate that. We'll have confession after the service. You can come to that. Um, <laughs> But one, one of the things, though, that with COVID, like they're, they're, for us to be able to do our ministry and do what we get to do, we, we get COVID tested three times a week. So I'm actually got a bolt right after this to go get my other test. So. I know you got to run to get that done. Hey, you're today. feeling good about me being up here, man. I'm clean, man. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that I've loved about this relationship uh, with our athletes there at the university is, 
is when we find out those that are followers of Christ, it just gives us a little incentive to cheer and, and on TV watch them. We're in football season. What are a couple of the guys that are really guys that are influencers uh, on that team that we could be remembering and, and cheering for and praying for? Um, you could pick a lot of different guys on the team, not to single out somebody, but like our FCA ambassador or leader just on the football team, he's our representative. It's Josh Paschal. Josh Paschal is a starting defensive lineman, survivor of cancer. He, the, the kid's been through a lot. But his love for Christ and his love for people is something that's um, been a catalyst on our team and influence. And so now he gathers athletes every Monday night just by himself, and they're getting in the Word, they're praying together. Um, what I love about that guy is what you see is what you get. He, he is the real deal. But you can continue to pray for him as he's got a clean bill of health right now, cancer-free. But we're still praying for him, but that he would continue to be a light and to be the salt that God's called him to be. That's awesome. Josh has been great. He's come to our youth group. He's still legendary in the uh, nine square. They still talk about Josh uh, dominating there. And uh, it's a young man that's going to potentially go on and play at the next level. And so what I love about us as a church, Josh was supposed to be here today, but got quarantined with there, is our and your ability to influence somebody who's going to be an influencer for years to come. So appreciate that. Courtney, we're dealing specifically in these last couple of weeks on this issue of race and um, some of the things that we've experienced trying to learn and understand Talk a little bit maybe out of your life. Where have you experienced racism and what does that look like for you? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, you know, first and foremost, I want to, you know, just commend you and the, the, the whole church body and family on, you know, having this conversation and, you know, exposing everyone to, you know, what we need to talk about and not, you know, beating around the bush, you know, for lack of better words, because, you know, so, so many times we can do that. Sometimes we can sugarcoat things and, um, you know, make things seem as if they're not a certain way, but, you know, they are, and it's real. And, um, you know, the, the biggest thing in, that I can say is our God is real because without him, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So, um, you know, for me, um, I haven't, I can't say that I've experienced it, um, you know, a whole bunch. Um, I can relate it to a couple situations. Um, you know, one situation um, when, I, when I had a girlfriend in high school, uh, her dad was was racist, didn't like that she was dating me, um, and me and her, we loved each other, and we didn't care, um, and that's what I, you know, the beauty that I saw in her was like, she didn't care, you know, that's something that she, she probably grew up in that household, her, that was something that her dad, you know, went through, and, um, you know, we loved each other, we let love win, we didn't let, you know, worldly things uh, win, and, you know, kind of conquer what that was, but, you know, her and I, we don't we don't talk as much as we did anymore. We we talk here and there. She's married now. Um, I pray for her. But you know, uh, other than that, that's I can't say I experienced a lot because I was um, very exposed as a kid, and you know, even now, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm with so many different people and walks of life that, you know, to me, I see everyone because God allows me to, um, and that's just something that's been in me. And my dad has always just taught me to, you know, if someone is coming at you, coming at you with ignorance and, and things like that, then you either try to teach them or you let God, you let God do what he has to do in, in their lives. And um, going back to that story with the girl that I, I dated, um, her dad ended up seeing that I was getting offers from different colleges and, you know, saw that I was, you know, well-spoken in the community and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, he then, he started to try to make a relationship with me, bought me like a weight set, and <laughs> it was just, it was nuts. But, 
you know, at that point, you know, again, I think it was it was God who stepped in and and and, and showed him, you know, you know, this kid isn't all bad um, <laughs> because of just the color of his skin, you know, and, and so things like that, I think, really transformed people's lives, and it also taught me to be patient with people and and you know to understand that everyone has their walk with you know dealing with different struggles and we just have to get through them and we have to give them to God. That's good. And the power of your father being the example for parents, you know, as you're walking through your children, what you're teaching, what you're modeling during this season so powerful. Well, now you're in the area of player development and uh, you've got athletes coming from all different parts of the country, all different kind of experiences with this. How have you helped them and what suggestions uh, have been helpful in, in sharing with them uh, how you be a follower of Christ uh, and how you be a strong black man in this context to that? And, and uh, so what, what words would you give encouragement to us as we think about that? Uh, you know, the best, the best I could say, you know, is again, is just, you know, following, you know, God's principles, um, you know, walking through life and understanding that we're not better than anyone you know, no matter what, no matter what it is. I mean, you can have no money, you can have the most money. It's, it's about what's inside of your heart. And it's about, are you striving to, you know, get to that next level? Are you striving to, the be, to be the best you that you can be every single day? Um, I write letters to our recruits. We have like uh, kids that we recruit. We have like 30 kids that we send letters to every week and we have to write letters. And I try not to write the same message in everyone. I try to, you know, keep keep the same message, but in different words and things like that. But the way I tell those guys is just if you can if you can really hone in on, you know, being the best son you can be, you're gonna be great for your father, for your parents. If you can hone in on being the best cousin you can be, the best worker that you can be, um, whatever it is that you're doing, if you do that for God and you become the best at whatever you do or you strive to be the best, there's no way that you know anything could really derail you now it's going to be a struggle and um iron and i have been been meeting for about a month and a half or so just discipleship and, and whatnot and it's been a little bit of a struggle for me because um sometimes i can get so involved in what i'm doing you know with our guys and you know teaching them and, and different things just small details on you know how they're walking in the hallway if their pants are pulled up right um you know if some guys are getting on meetings and they they want to have their phone up towards the ceiling <laughs> and you see the, the the fan going and this meeting is not for the fan it's for you you know so show us that you're attentive show us that you're paying attention because every single second is another second to get better and 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 do the best that you can do no matter what it is and um so that's kind of what i try to teach our guys every single day that's good. It's that personal yeah. responsibility, yeah. right? Owning, owning where we're yeah. at in that process. Yeah. Aaron, you've got a unique perspective. Uh, you do a lot with local churches, obviously a lot with coaches in there. Um, what suggestions and encouragement would you give us as we strive to kind of be that bridge and to build in the relationships and model really who Jesus wants us to be? What have you experienced and what would you encourage us with today? Something that um, I've been trying to implement in my life with, with athletes of different teams, different cultures, backgrounds, coaches, the like, is to implement uh, what I call the three L's. And the first one is, is just to listen. You know, I think uh, you were in, you know, obviously you were in the book of James earlier this morning in our service. And there's a verse in there that says, be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Let's do twice as much listening as we do speaking. And something that I've been trying to really do is just listen to the pain. 
listen to have conversations. Courtney and I have had tons of talks, but all of our student athletes. Um, I love what you said earlier, Pastor, just about my, my uh, just because I didn't experience it, I mean, it's not real. And, and man, to hear the pain and to have empathy and to begin to pray. But the second L would not just, would not just be to listen, but number two would be to learn. And to, and to, to learn not just from conversations, but I, I'll be honest, in my, own, in my own journey through all of this, it's made me dive into the Word and to listen to more, even sermons. Uh, Courtney and I have talked about um, Tony Evans out of Texas, that he has some great messages on rec- racial reconciliation that have helped us. I mean, Courtney and I talked about we, one of the most powerful moments we've had at practice this whole year so far was when our guys chose to walk out. But right before they walked out, we had a huddle on the field, and we had four different athletes stand up and speak. And they all shared about their perspective. They all shared about some challenges or some things they've ignored. But it was a, it was a powerful moment right there for them just to be able to be real and be honest, but yet be unified. And what we've learned is that we're not after sameness. We're after oneness. And there's a difference between sameness and oneness. We want to have unity, and unity comes with having the same purpose. But for me to look at Courtney and to, and to be able to say, I don't see your skin color, I just see you as a person, I've all, that's always bothered me. Because that's actually ignoring something that's true. And what's true is that God created him as a black man. And I love that. And so instead of ignoring that and saying, I don't see him as a black man, I see him as a person, is to celebrate who God created him to be. And, th- and that's been something that's been good for me. And so just to continue to, to learn and to be able to like, now we don't want to ignore the design. We want to celebrate the design for all of us and to know that we're going to start with God and not for me. And I, I don't want to get too far on that, but I, I, it's something that he and I are learning. So the three L's for me would be to listen to each other, but then to learn, not just from conversations, but challenge your own heart to learn more, but then to love and to uh, not have conditional love, but to have unconditional love for our, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. That's a great word. That'll preach. Got three L's and we're ready to roll. Well, man, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you as a friend. Uh, I'm so grateful that God has placed you in our city for such a time as this. Um, And uh, I'm thankful for your ministry that you have. And so I encourage as a church family, as you think about our university and our athletes, these are two men that God has placed in the front lines. These are not easy days uh, to be leading. Uh, And they're doing it with such great uh, humility. And uh, so thank you for letting God use you in a powerful way. Let's thank these guys. Thank you. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've heard a lot of uh, opinions and thoughts about this, and I want to just take a few moments as we close, and I, I want to ground them all in, in the word for us today. And we're going to look again at the example of Jesus, the ultimate reconciler uh, to us. And uh, in the context, I want to take us back to the Jews and Samaritans, 800 years of of racial tensions, prejudice towards one another, and outright hatred, called each other dogs, disputed over where the temple should be built. Uh, and I can't emphasize that there was just a hatred amongst these two people groups. And so if you got your Bibles, let me take you to the example of Jesus. In the book of John, John chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, He, being Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. 
And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. The context with that historical tension between these two groups, whenever a devoted Jew would, would go, they would rather walk all the way around Samaria than walk through Samaria, Samaria and have to deal with the Samaritans. But here's Jesus in this moment, decides to walk to the wrong side of the tracks and uh, walks directly there. Not only does he connect with a Samaritan, but the scripture reminds us that he connected with a Samaritan woman. You couldn't find two people that would be on two more opposing political views and social views at, at this moment. And the location where they, to, they, they meet is, is important. The intersection of this account that we're going to look at this morning, they were going to meet at Jacob's well. And it's interesting that Jesus determines that we're going to meet at Jacob's well because here's something that's true. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews, but both of them liked Jacob. See, Jacob was the father of both the Jews and the Samaritans. So if you would go into the house of a Samaritan, you would find a Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. You would find that in a Samaritan's house. You wouldn't find any other books because they didn't believe in any of those, but they loved the first five books because Jacob was mentioned in the first five books, and both groups loved Jacob. So Jesus finds common ground with this woman when she meets her at the well, and which of all the wells they meet at, they meet at Jacob's well that's there. He starts the relationship with what they both have in common. I don't know about you, many of my interracial relationships that I've had have been around that. Growing up, it came through the context of sports. Uh, when our kids were involved in sports, there were families we were connected there. Now, later in life, it's hobbies that have created those kind of relationships. Somewhere where we have a common goal and something we have some unity around and a purpose, that's where those relationships start. And so Jesus starts that relationship with the common ground at the well of Jacob. Then Jesus does something that's really interesting and very powerful, and maybe something you've never seen if you're familiar with this passage. He tells the disciples to do something. Verse 7, the soon the Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Here's why. For he was alone at that time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So Jesus sends them off to buy some food. Tuck that away in your head. We're going to come back to that important point in just a moment. Verse 9. Then the woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, how did she know that Jesus was a Jew? He, he didn't come in announcing, I am Jesus from, you know, I'm the, the Jewish man, I've come to share with you. He didn't announce that. Well, how did she know that he was a Jew? Well, she knew that he was a Jew because he talked like a Jew, he dressed like a Jew, and he walked like a Jew. Here's what I want to remind you today is simply this. Jesus didn't try to be something or someone different than who he was in order to reach someone different than himself. He didn't have to become less Jewish in order to reach the Samaritan. He just had to be who God had created him uniquely to be. Now listen, this is what caught the attention of the Samaritan woman. What caught her attention was not that he dressed like a Jew and talked like a Jew and walked like a Jew. What caught her attention is that he did not act like a Jew. And all of a sudden, this begins to create some interest that Jesus was not going to allow 800 years of racial prejudice to dictate how he was going to interact with people and how it was going to define his relationship. So he turns off the media, he heads to the wrong side of the tracks, and he just simply begins to relate to people. 
He was going to, at this moment, think about this, a Jewish man is going to drink from a Samaritan's cup. And all of a sudden, it changed everything in that moment. Jesus says this, I, I'm gonna treat you how I'm going to treat you. And I'm not gonna allow all the presuppositions and all the things that culture are telling me how we need to interact. I'm just going to love you as you are. I, I love the way they mentioned about uh, Pastor Tony Evans. He simply says this, It says, God is not asking you to stop being who you are to reach someone different than who you are. God is not asking blacks to be more whites and whites to be more black. He's simply asking for both to be more biblical. Amen? Amen? That's the truth that we're hearing. So Jesus goes to talk to someone. Now he he gives this conversation, and he's going to talk to her about the biggest issue of tension between the two groups, the issue of where the temple is supposed to be located. And I love this about Jesus, is that he doesn't avoid a difficult conversation, right? He doesn't just try to pretend it's not, there's tension here, so let's talk about where the tension is, let's talk about this. And I love the model he gives us. He moves from common ground, we can agree on Jacob, we're going to start there. He moves to what her felt need is, this is the tension, let's talk about the temple. But ultimately he moves her to their sin issue and her need for forgiveness. Look at verse 27. Just then the disciples came back, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? So they have this concern, Jesus, why are you here? And again, Jesus is here because he's moved from this common ground to where her felt need to her sin issue, because he addresses in the verses prior to this woman, tell me about the man that you're living with that's not your husband. He deals with the heart issue that he has. But here are the disciples saying, listen, why are you talking to her? Now, don't miss this. The disciples didn't have a problem that Jesus was talking to a woman, because Jesus had talked to women like Mary and Martha quite often. They had a problem that, she was, that they were talking to a Samaritan woman that was here. And now you get maybe a little better picture why Jesus says, uh, disciples, I need you to go find some food. Listen, it's hard to do the work of reconciliation when you're surrounded by racists. And Jesus says, I've got work that we need to do, and I don't need you in this picture. Go get some food. Now listen, these are amazing men of God that God used in powerful ways, but God still had some work that he had to do in their hearts. There was still some of these 800 years of of prejudice that was still buried deep within them, and Jesus says, at this moment, I've got something that's bigger than that I've got to deal with. I need you not to be here at that moment. And here's where it goes. And Jesus says this, I'm not going to allow 800 years of systemic racism to determine how I'm going to interact with this moment. And so here's, I'm going to do the work of the Father during this time. I'm going to do the work of God. God, the ultimate reconciler who reconciles us to himself. And look what happens. When Jesus expresses empathy and kindness and cares about a person, all of a sudden the walls begin to, to drop down. Verse 30 goes on. So the people came streaming from the villages to see him. Now think about this picture. You've got Jesus and a Samaritan woman. You have the disciples that have come here who have some of their background that they're bringing. And now all of a sudden you have this group of Samaritans coming to the well. All the men that are coming. Listen, we're about to have one or two things happen. We're either going to have revival or we're about to have a riot, right? These are the two groups coming together. And Jesus, in the midst of that tension-filled moment through grace, look what happens in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village from the village, believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything that I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Remember the context. That morning, Jesus comes to the well 
That morning, 800 years of racism between the two groups existed, and in the matter of one day, they are now asking Jesus not only to stay, but we want you to stay for multiple days that you can teach us, that we can learn. And in one day, Jesus did what they couldn't do in 800 years. In one day, he breaks down the walls. Why? Because he introduced the gospel into the context of relationships. And once people saw their need for Jesus and, and the need for the gospel in their life, then all of a sudden reminded, listen, that we are all sinners who sit at the feet of the cross, saved by the grace of God. And the hearts were softened and walls were broken down. Can I remind you that today, that the battle is not between Jews and Gentiles and whites and blacks and Democrats and Republicans. The battle is between the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of darkness. So don't allow the culture to divide us. Don't allow somebody else or the media or somebody else to tell your story, share your story. Like Jesus, find common ground. Like Jesus, address the issues that are there that are creating the tension, but ultimately let's push people towards the great reconciler, Jesus Christ. And in that, hearts can be changed. And in that, lives can be transformed. And I'm still blown away in that. In one day, Jesus did what didn't happen for 800 years. Through one man, through one act of humility and kindness, from being willing to be quick to listen and slow to speak, being reminded that the ultimate need is not a race issue, it's a spiritual issue, and the gospel is the thing that brings us together and reconciles people and reconciles us to God. 2 Corinthians seven fourteen, a verse we've been sharing during this whole season. It says this again, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Men and women, may we attempt to do in one day what hasn't been done in all of 2020. May we reconcile to one another and reconcile ourselves to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Aaron and Courtney. God, thank you for placing them for such a time as this in their position of influence. God, we continue to pray for just your protection upon their hearts. God, give them wisdom and courage and discernment as they lead. And God, for us, may we be encouraged by the example of Jesus, who in one day, through humility and kindness, broke down walls that had been built for 800 years. God, use us in our sphere of influence. God, ask that you would use us as a church for your glory that we would be humbly reminded that our ultimate need is a need for relationship with you. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you and use us this week in your name. Amen.